find your friends in boxes of ten. Cool to the touch, you warm me so much. The white to your left and the red to your right were all that I'd seen till I realized. The love that I seek lies right in between. Roses, I love you, especially today. Delicate way. Good afternoon, one and all, and welcome back once again to Grape Juice, Wine and Jazz with your host, Ben. Um, I'm speaking to you on a sunny St. Andrews afternoon. It is the 24th of July, 2021, um, and we're going to take a slightly different tack with this episode. Uh, I wanted to finally um, talk about rosé. It's been a while, and through a lot of episodes, I've kind of managed to avoid this topic. Um, But I wanted to dispel any prejudice, because personally, I think rosé is an extremely venerable wine, and particularly with champagne, I think that recently I've come to prefer rosé champagne over regular champagne to quite a large extent. So um, basically, one of my favorite, favorite producers had the foresight to release a rosé, which isn't something they do all the time, I believe. Only usually on high-yielding vintages. Or, uh, you know, they can make the decision whether to continue to use the grapes to make um, uh, more of their Grand Vin. But um, in 2020, this year, they decided to really, really go out with the rosé. And the place that I work at has received a huge consignment. So I'm very, very happy to be trying it. Um, I put it in the fridge for a little while, but I actually want to taste it at room temperature because um, a rosé really, really shows its flaws at room temperature um, when it's warm. Um, so, you know, if it's hollow, if the acid is there, because, you know, that, that kind of thing isn't usually what we think about with a rosé. We don't think about refreshing. We think more about fruit and sweetness and kind of pink prettiness. Um, so, yes, uh, not a huge focus in terms of the music this week. I just wanted to do songs that kind of generally focus around the theme of rosé. So um, we're going to be exploring this rosé, but we're also going to be exploring the history of rosé and the culture surrounding rosé today um, and why it has the huge popularity that it does now. You see rosé from everywhere, from rosé champagne um, to, you know, a glass of rosé wine at the pub while the husband is chugging some tenants. You know, it's definitely permeated and made its way to all levels and all um, kind of preferences of wine drinking. and uh, interestingly, there are a few. There have been a few shifts in the appreciation of Rosie recently, which I would like to get into. Um, just to introduce that song that you heard, that was the the opening piano bars to uh, Rosie by The Feeling. Um, lovely, lovely song. Um, so, uh, in terms of music, we can also discuss the theme of Rosie and that, and how it often appears. Now, um, a lot of songs that you'll that when I'm looking up songs for grape juice. 
Um, a lot of songs that are by quite famous artists that have red wine or rosé wine, um, you know, famous UB40's Red Red Wine, it's usually about drowning one's sorrows and escaping from the pain of a breakup or something like that. Um, so with the first song, Rosie, the, the, the job, the perception, the image of Rosie, I guess, in a lot of popular music is something that's very easy and that will get you drunk quickly, you know? Um, unlike, you know, Red Wine, slightly different because, you know, it's interesting because the, both the songs kind of have the same theme, Red Red Wine and, and Rosie, this song. Um, so I guess because Rosie wasn't so popular when UB40's song came out, I guess Rosie is now kind of the the wine alternative, um, you know, something that usually would make you happy that you can drink quite easily and quickly, um, but that actually sort of goes to your head and makes you feel all, you know, if not uh, fun and party in party mode, if not, it kind of gives you this rush um, that makes you forget reality somewhat. Um, so that's basically our introduction to Rosé. Um, so I'm going to, in this first section, I'm going to go through the history a little bit. Um, and kind of explore where it came from and why Rosé is so popular today. Um, if, you're, uh, if you want a quite comprehensive history of Rosé and how they make it, Wikipedia is honestly amazing. But um, I'm just going to kind of give a potted history of Rosé and kind of where it came from. Um, so first things first, uh, Rosé is nothing new in terms of wine culture. Um, the name Rosé is perhaps, but the, the style of wine, the actual sort of chemical process, well not chemical process, but the style of wine is nothing new. Um, I've talked before uh, in my episode on uh, Chateau Bataille 2009 um, about the word claret, the English word claret, for, which is for red Bordeaux wine, and about the fact that that claret is derived from uh, clear clarity because Bordeaux wines in fact used to be extremely clear in colour, uh, made from red grapes, but much more in the, the presence of uh, the appearance of a modern rosé. Um, and you do have, you do still get a rosé wine from Bordeaux, I think, called Clairette. But there is a grape called Clairette, Clairette Branche, which is a kind of fairly unexciting white grape that is used in a lot of Rhone white blends. Um, so yeah, basically, rosé is how a lot of red wines used to be. Um, before the modern red wine came out, um, or before our modern idea of red wine became a thing. Um, and that's basically the, the main things that make red wine even more red, <laughs> um, is hard, hard pressing, so pressing grapes, getting as much juice out of them, um, and contact with the skins. One of the main things that will make a red wine uh, fruitier, darker, more concentrated and uh, denser is maceration and that wasn't necessarily uh, a process that was uh, adopted in the earliest days of winemaking. So rosé as a wine uh, rather than a concept or an idea or a kind of marketable thing um, has been around for a while. Um, it is in fact red grapes just not you know kind of less uh, having gone through less of a process um, and in a kind of more natural, early, gentle style. Um, and basically, uh, Rosé basically didn't uh, catch on for a long, long time. Um, Champagne used to produce Rosé wines, but it certainly wasn't usually kind of the, the, the go-to. 
Um, before the, the 20th century, sweet champagne was the thing, not necessarily rosé. And then the British market came in and asked, you know, the Champenois to start taking sugar out. And that's how we get the, the brut that we have now. But rosé wasn't really, if you look at, you know, champagne adverts from the Belle Epoque, for example, which is the golden age of champagne marketing, you, you never really see rosé. There are some adverts for Veuve Clicquot rosé from the 50s, but apart from that, it's usually just the brand and it's it's the iconic colour of champagne, which is like that pale lemon straw colour. Um, it doesn't really fit into the market. So how did rosé become popular? Well, basically, it got really, really cheap and took off after the Second World War um, uh, because of the Portuguese. Um, and the most famous wine that basically catapulted rosé into the kind of modern public consciousness, um, which is still running today and which is extremely popular, is um, Matthias or Matus, I believe it's Matus. Um, it's one. Of, it's it's not pronounced Matthias as everyone likes to to say over here in the UK, um, but nevertheless, that was the trigger. And since then, rosé is kind of the go-to um, of you know easy drinking wine, especially among uh, females. Um, but there is an interesting point to clarify in terms of the clientele that enjoy rosé. There is no doubt about the fact that the, the kind of pinkish, feminine, fruity appeal of rosé um, is very much marketed towards women. And uh, usually, if it's not Prosecco, uh, girls, when they're out, enjoy, if they're drinking wine, a glass or a bottle or a magnum of rosé. Um, and, you know, that makes sense because that's the way that rosé is marketed. But of late, um, people are more and more people are enjoying good wine and rosé, uh, attention for good rosé is also catapulting. There are many, many good rosés that are very, very um, well sought after and are beginning to make a presence into the market. Sancerre rosé, for example, hasn't quite caught on, but it's a beautiful wine. Um, and then you've also got Bordeaux Rosé, which is what we're going to be trying today, and many others. But I would say the one region that has caught on as people have begun to become aware of what they're drinking in the last sort of 10, 20 years is Provence Rosé, and particularly a wine called Whispering Angel, um, which people like tremendously. Provence Rosé isn't too much of... I'm not quite enough of a fan of that, partly because um, it's from the south and it's it hasn't got that nice acid and structure, um, which is something I enjoy tremendously in a wine. Um, it doesn't matter how heavy it is, as long as it has a nice kind of um, uh, cool freshness to it somewhere, especially in a white or a rosé, then I'm happy. And usually if it's from a really, really hot area, like Provence rosés are, they have pretty fruits and they're very ripe, but they don't quite have the structure, so they can feel a little bit flabby for me. But Provençal Rosé is definitely what has been taking off recently in the market. Excuse me. And, and also on the point of gender and marketing, um, having worked working in a wine shop, the people who go for the good rosé, um, the ladies are often aware of Provençal Rosé and they, and they will buy that. They're often asking for Whispering Angel, and of course we have slightly better alternatives that are probably a little less expensive. Um, but either way, Whispering Angels are not a bad thing because it's, it's you know, like Matthias, I suppose, introducing to, to people to rosé. Whispering Angel has pe introduced people to the regionality of rosé and got them more aware of what they're drinking when they drink it. Um, you know, as long as it's not barefoot, then you're fine. Um, but uh, I have noticed that those uh, who go for the more expensive, perhaps, or more niche rosés are uh, middle-aged men uh, who often enjoy rosé with... Uh, 
with fish and chips. Um, and I, I'm really enjoying that. I think that's great. So um, I think that uh, however much Rosé does have this female association, there is absolutely a massive male, actually middle-aged male, almost corporate clientele for good Rosé, which is something uh, is very interesting. And of course, I'm quite happy about because I, I've also come to realize and appreciate the value, complexity, and range of rosés that are that there are available that are great. You know, <laughs> um, today we're we're having a very very exciting rosé. Um, I don't know if I believed I talked about. I, you know, it's it's a it's criminal if I haven't. But um, my roots in terms of wine, as I've said on this show before, which you can see in, in the 1983 Smith Woodhouse Port episode, um, is pours. Um, and I enjoy things that are sugary. I like a good bit of sweetness, and, and I guess that's why some roses appeal to me. But anyway, um, Bordeaux, uh, sorry, uh, Port and Burgundy are kind of my go-to. Um, but with a lot of people, Bordeaux is what they start with. Um, I'm not a huge fan of Bordeaux, but I certainly am a fan of the of the silky, dense, clarity style, uh, the, the kind of English mode of... Um, Bordeaux, which is the very traditional style that, that is chocolate, tobacco, quite dense cassis, some sort of green pepper and herbality, um, and slightly buttery oak with this kind of cedary, woody, toasty thing going on, and a bit of graphite as well, which is classic, especially to the Poyac area. Um, so I really enjoy that. I, I also do enjoy Margot, but it, something sweet and light like that I usually go to Burgundy for. So Bordeaux is not something I'm particularly emotionally attached to, but when I have a good one, by God. But the one chateau that has really caught my imagination is Chateau La Tour de Bie, which is a wonderful estate that if you, if you were to ask someone, anyone who has any knowledge of Bordeaux, what wine is the epitome, apart from the first growths and the really, really expensive ones, what is the best value embodiment of the, what claret is, what that style is? And unmistakably, without a doubt, it would have to be Chateau La Tour de Bie. It just completely um, embodies that style, and there is just nothing that comes close to it. I do have quite a lot of that wine, and I've, exp I've particularly enjoyed the 2015 vintage, of which I have in three different formats. <laughs> um, it's a really beautiful, beautiful wine. And every so often, uh, and the estate is just at B, which is right BY, which is at, right at the top of the Maydock, above all the, 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 big, the big main appellations. Um, and it produces just stunning, stunning wine. And every so often, uh, recently more because of the high yielding and hotter vintages, they've been making a rosé, which is extremely popular. It's in the traditional bottle, but it has a uh, silver cap on it. Um, and it just looks extremely, extremely classy in the Bordeaux bottle. Um, a little bit of information on their website. So it's 100% Cabernet Sauvignon. Uh, so there's no Merlot or Cab Franc or anything like that in there. It's just completely Cab. Um, and I've never actually had a Cabernet Sauvignon raisin, uh, Rosé before. So that would be interesting. Um, it says, for its tasting note, it says, Un rosé d'une belle fraîcheur, very fresh, des jolies notes d'agrumes et de litchi. I'm not sure what agrumes and lychee are, but they sound extremely nice. Uh, L'expression d'un beau fruité. It's very fruity, lol. Um, because uh, rosé is not perhaps the, the main, within the traditional remit of Bordeaux, uh, rather than you know, calling it a Maydoc or a Poyac, whatever, um, the, the appellation is called Bordeaux Rosé. So that's, that's what you see on the bottle. Um, so, it's, uh, the vines are 45 years old, so nearly half a century old Cabernet Sauvignon vines. Um, I believe, if I can just check on the website, that is the same as the Grand Vin. 
Uh, yeah, that's right. So basically, the, these the the rosé is sourced from the same vines as the as the Grand Vin, as the regular Bordeaux wine. So already, that's a very good sign that there's there's no nothing has been spared on quality quality here, and this is in fact a rosé made from the estate's famous grapes rather than you know shit grapes behind the chateau somewhere. Um, they say to keep it for one to two years. So I think we're possibly at according to Chateau Latour to be at its prime. Uh, and it's been, yeah, 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 blah, 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 all, all scientific information. So basically, uh, this rosé is not just a way to reuse shit grapes, one would hope, um, because this has been produced in, in very good vintages. Obviously, I think 2015 and 16, I, I don't see the rosé around, but that's because I think that those were such stunning years that... Um, they wanted to make as much of the Grand Vin as possible so they could have more. But I suppose maybe in years like uh, 18, 19, 20, which are good, but obviously not as stellar, um, they perhaps feel that it's more worthwhile or kind of less of a... Um, uh, or it's more worthwhile to make the rosé perhaps because they're not as worried about making as much of the Grand Vin perhaps. I'm not quite sure. Uh, either way, it's not something they do every year, I don't think. So that's why it's quite exciting to have it now. Um, and certainly, it's uh, I've heard really, really good things about it. Um, I'm not gonna. I have heard a couple of reviews because um, most of the people who I work with have now drunk it. Apart, from, everyone has seems seems to have drunk it apart from me. Um, but I'm expecting it to be fairly textured and fairly kind of um, probably with a slightly herbaceous note. I don't think it's going to be flabby or particularly sweet. I think it's going to be quite a meaty boy, which I am quite excited for because I've never had a rosé that was properly unconventional in the sense that it's not really that fruity, but it's more kind of meaty and and on the more savoury side of things. So uh, that those that's the one preconception that I'm going to throw into the mix and in, into my own head before I drink this. Um, but certainly no more. Well, um, so yes, I, I'm very excited to try this wine and to delve slightly more into the culture of rosé. Um, in terms of music, going back to our musical theme, we're going to explore another side of rosé. Um, in fact, the colour and the concept and the ideas it cultures up. There's often, you know, rose, rosé, you know, associated with perhaps femininity and romance, and that's definitely the appeal of rosé wine certainly aligns with that. Um, but another aspect of that culture is, you know, the whole idea of rose-tinted spectacles, that the kind of pinkish colour of rose evokes this idea of romance and um, idealism and beauty. So in that sense, I'm going to play you one of the most famous and unfortunately in recent years platitudinously overplayed songs of popular culture, um, which is Edith Piaf's um, inimitable rendition of La Vie en Rose. Um, and I think this is relevant because the whatever you think of the wine of rosé and the degustation of different rosé wines themselves, um, which I have done. You know, the, the, the best rosé I've ever had to this day was a Marsani rosé by Joseph Rotti, a Burgundy rosé. And why you can, there's definitely, um, and what I'm here to champion is that the fact that definitely there is variance and that rosé is a real wine that should be appreciated like other wines because it has complexity, quality, depth and variance. There is also definitely this side to it that is just based on the colour, which I find fascinating. View, viewing life through, you know, a glass of rosé. 
So uh, on that note, I'm going to play La Vie en Rose, sung by uh, the inimitable Edith Piaf, and I will be back afterwards to taste Chateau La Tour de Bee's Bordeaux Rosé from 2020. Des yeux qui font baisser les miens, un rire qui se perd sur sa bouche, voilà le portrait sans retouche de l'homme auquel j'appartiens. Quand il me prend dans ses bras, il me parle tout bas, je vois la vie en herself, Edith Piaf, singing a very fitting song today. So, as I'm sure you can hear, I am just about to uncork this famous bottle. Um, as I said before, I want to give this a chance with, you know, not just ice cold, as is, you know, what people usually do with rosé, which is how it's supposed to be drunk, but I just want to give this a full analysis rather than a, a quick chugging, um, which is why we're doing a grape juice on it. So I'm just uncorking it. As I said, it's in the, it's in the classic claret bottle. Um, with the same label, the only difference is, uh, is the word rosé and the AOP rather than Médoc. 
uh, the fact that it's also a clear bottle and also the, the foil is a nice silver. So um, still very classy, still very Bordeaux, but at the same time, very much rosé. Um, so on the cork, it's it's as usual, it says Vignoble Marquepage. Um, it doesn't have the Tour de B cork, which in traditional Bordeaux fashion has the uh, the chateau name and uh, engraved on it. So um, that's fine. They don't have to spend money on the cork as well. <laughs> um, mm. So uh, the rosé itself is a rather light color. Um, it's, it's kind of verging on this. Rather than it being a kind of deep... Um, red, sort of reddish pink um, magenta. It's very, very much a light kind of financial times pink, almost with a bit of orange fleck in it. Um, so I'm just going to put it in my, my Italesque glass, splashing everywhere, of course, uh, and give it a little swirl around. So yeah, very, very light in color. Um, very classy, actually. It just looks really, really classy in the glass. I'm, I'm already enjoying just the kind of the shimmering, subtle, classy aspect of it. It is, it is very light indeed, actually. Um, and I think it's at a perfect temperature now where it's been in the fridge for, you know, perhaps an hour. Um, having been at shop temperature, which is kind of maybe a bit warmer than cellar temperature. So it's, oh God, I wish I could translate this into degrees and actually be professional, but I can't. So basically it's... um. It's, it's just on the cusp of being slightly chilled, um, but certainly not, you know, lukewarm or anything. It's still kind of on the, on the, on the colder side of things in the grand scheme. So, um, having perused that beautiful colour, I'm very excited to smell this. I think it's going to be great. How could it not be? Um, I'm going to put my nose in the glass and see what we come up with. Ah. <laughs> That is very expressive. Actually, it's funny. I it does, in some ways, remind me of uh, a Provence rosé because it does have this almost slightly, not sickly, but very kind of sweet strawberry element to it. Almost like that kind of slightly creamy but buttery element, which is rather interesting. So at the moment, it's actually a bit a bit more sweet. I mean, this is expectations out the window. I'm not going to say anything like that. I'm just going to tell you what's in, in the glass. There is definitely a nice bit of herbaceousness in the background, although not too much. But yeah, it does. Um, it does feel like already that it has the depth, the sweetness, and the the ripeness of um, Cabernet Sauvignon. It definitely just feels, if not meatier, then it has a lot more stuffing and substance than a lot of, a lot of rosés do. But at the end of the day, this is this is a, a vin de chug rather than a vin de garde. You know, it's meant to be drunk and not really thought about. Um, so I'm not going to spend, you know, ages picking this apart, you know, um, this is why this is a slightly more fun summary episode than some. But yeah, the nose is, is particularly sweet, slightly creamy strawberries with a bit of kind of slightly, um, generic spice herbs in the background. So let's put it in the mouth and 
see what happens there, which is, of course, the most important part of all with the rosé. Oh, oh, oh! Oh, man. That's a joy. That is a whopper. I did not expect that much power. Mmm. Oh, that's a big boy. 13%. I do think, uh, and I mean, I'm enjoying it as I said at that slight, slightly lukewarm temperature, but I think this is defo one for the fridge, and I'll tell you why. Because it's so meaty and big. But. And you know what the most exciting thing about this is, especially with the texture? I said before that, wow, I said before that I, what I love about Tool de B is the silkiness of its tannins and the kind of dense, silky texture that it has. This has the dense, silky texture, and this is the rosé. Um, and I kid you not, I can actually taste some of the characters of, of the wine, of the Cabernet, in this rosé. It's the same, it's the same feel of oak, the same silky, caressing, sort of chocolatey, smooth silkiness that Tour de Bee gives. And it makes me so happy that that is actually reflected in their rosé. Because I never would have expected that. Um, and that just shows you how expressive and amazing rosé is. I'm just going to top myself up, if you don't mind. Um, gosh. So, already, and I, I have a huge advantage because I, I drank this, this Chateau-like water last year. Um, I do have an advantage, but I can... You know, ob obviously not in a million years would I be able to guess that with, with a blindfold, but I can taste the chateau in this rosé. It, it feels like it's not just a nice rosé that they've made with their cab grapes. It's a rosé that expresses their style as well. They've, they've even oaked it in the same way that they do the Grand Vin, which coming to think about it, it should not be that surprising because it's one of their wines and they have a style. But that just shows you that rosé is often missed in that, in that perception and that, you know, the way that wines are seen. You know, you don't really think of rosé as being something that's carefully vinified as much as a grand vin. But in fact, but that just tastes like a, a border rosé. But not only a Bordeaux rosé, it's certainly a Medoki, excuse me, Poyaki silky rosé. And it's just amazing that this so um, amazingly, not, not necessarily amazingly, so faithfully and wonderfully captures where it's from. It's, this is a terroir-driven rosé. Perhaps I was expecting a good bit of hedgerow, but there is, there is a kind of nice drying, almost soil-like earthiness to it as well.
the fruit is definitely there, but I'm really enjoying that kind of slightly savory, slightly earthy note. But this is no, by no means a dry rosé. You can taste the yeast to some extent as well, but I think that the oak is definitely in there. It's definitely an oaked rosé. Mm. And because of that thickness that it's got, that texture, that density, that not necessarily power, but presence, I think it's when it's cold, it's going to be an absolute joy. Um, an absolute joy. Uh, so I think that's what's going to be happening. It's funny, it's, it's still funny to look at this bottle, this traditional claret bottle, and it just have a rosé behind it. I, mean, I just think that's so fascinating and beautiful. Um, and this this wine has only made me fall in love more with this producer because they uh, they really are going out. I think all Bordeaux should, producers should be making a rosé. This is wonderful, and I'm sure they do. But it's just not necessarily marketed over here. But I'm absolutely thrilled that there is a shed load of this stuff at St. Andrew's Wine Company. If you want to order it online, please do. It's only thirteen ninety five a bottle, um, which is really really good. Uh, the Grand Vins is around twenty to two to twenty-five pounds, but this is this is shaved a tenner off that, and it's still to the same standard. Obviously, it's a very very different wine, but it's it's absolutely gorgeous um, and very very much reflects the producer. Hmm. I think one of the good things about this wine, actually, is that I'm not particularly... It's wonderful because of its caressing simplicity. I'm not aching to describe it or analyze it or work it, work it out, because there's nothing to work out here. It's just pure pleasure. And this is very, very, very important. And that does bring me on to uh, another aspect of why I think rosé is really, really important. Um, because there are two sides to wine, you know, they can be narrowed down among wine people to tasting and drinking, but, um, and there's, the reason I go into wine and the reason I love it so much is that you can analyze and pick it apart, um, and that's what, apart from drinking it, that is what brings my passion to another level that I'm able to do that, and especially that I have the wonderful people that I'm able to do that with, because that's also fairly rare, um, I mean outside the trade, um, which is, has been a beautiful experience for me. But it's also very, very important to remember that wine is just a drink and people should not shy away from or be scared by wine because they think that they have to think about it every time. This wine is not made to be thought about, it's meant to be drunk and enjoyed. And I think even at the highest level, there are of course some rosés that are perhaps, perhaps meant to be drunk a little more seriously. I mean, I don't think, rather than looking at rosés as something that is less serious, or rather than looking at rosés that are, that are something um, perhaps, you know, to use up other grapes or that uh, are an escape from, from that kind of world, um, you, could, you could look at them as a more pure reflection of what the winemakers really, really want, which is for you to drink and enjoy these wines. Obviously, wines are made to be appreciated, but what they really want is for you to finish that bottle and enjoy it, you know? And I think rosé, much more than other wines, purely goes back to that essential purpose of wine before oenology or the wine trade even existed, which is to drink it and enjoy it 
and harness the feeling that it gives you and not to think about it. And I think even with Tour de Vie that, and Rosé, that is something that is very, very important and that needs to be reiterated. Um, so I think that in that sense, Rosé has a huge amount of value because it certainly is the wine that people think about the least. Um, but at the same time, I would encourage you to discover other rosés because within that category there is a rosé that you could not think about perhaps for less money and more enjoyment so it's not about being a connoisseur of rosé and trying every one it's about as is as is with same with any wine and anyone getting into wine and any style trying something and discovering what you like uh discovering new things that you didn't know that you didn't know you like and then you have something new that you enjoy in your life you know um, and that's that's definitely the beauty of, of wines like this. Um, and my hand is like magnetically drawn to the bottle because it's so beautiful to make me pour myself another glass. Um, they've certainly nailed it with the marketing. Yeah, but I'm not going to be too long, long-winded with this tasting section. Really, in conclusion, this is just a beautifully well-made rosé that is meaty and silky and dense, that not only reflects the ethos of the chateau and tastes like it's from the chateau, um, but that is treated with the same amount of care, attention, and quality assurance as the Grand Vin. At the same time, it's also an embodiment of what rosé is, which is something to be enjoyed without fear and without stress. And that, I think, is extremely valuable. Without going too much further into this and trying to gather my thoughts even more into a more profound statement, I think I'm going to leave that episode there with that lovely thought. Um, just so you can, you know, just so the, the length and the mental complexity of the episode can in fact reflect the wine itself and the ideas that I've been talking about around rosé and of course about wine in general in that it's just an alcoholic liquid that is meant to be drunk and enjoyed with people or by yourself um, without too much stress or seriousness getting you down. Um, and the song that we shall play to roll us out is something that goes back to Grape Juice's roots, which is generic lounge jazz. <laughs> um, found a little song called Sparkling Rosé Wine off a nice, comfy, laid-back lounge album. Um, I hope you enjoy it. And also... I encourage you very, very much while this great weather lasts to crack open a rosé, sit back and just escape the world. Thank you for listening and I shall see you on the next one.